I invite you to open your Bibles this morning, if you have one with you, to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. We'll pick up again in a couple of weeks with our uh, series in Hebrews. Um, we'll uh, look at chapter 8, and then we'll break chapter 9 into two parts. They'll take a break for the summer, uh, returning to it. Uh, but rather than kind of start, stop, start and again, uh, we thought that we would put those together and look at a passage that uh, continues uh, the work of Easter in our lives this morning. Our focus is going to be 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, for the sake of context. Read beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, reading through verse 5. Hear the word of our God. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come with thanksgiving this day. Uh, we remember, we celebrate what you have done for us in Christ. We rejoice in the reconciliation, the ability to come into your presence. And we are reminded that you who have freed us, have not just freed us, but you are at work within us. You've begun a work and you've promised to continue that work until it's completed. That work is to make us what you created us to be. We would conform to the image of Christ, which is how you created man to begin with. And so we pray that you would use this time today and these words by the apostle uh, to shape us, to encourage us, even to empower us. Do the work that you have begun. Shape us, Lord, that we may live lives that are honoring to you, becoming of those who are followers of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, experiencing the joy that you have promised, that you have created us for, as we have fellowship with you. Lord, speak to us. Speak by your Spirit. Use even my words. Give me clarity. That together, we may rejoice in your ongoing grace. This we pray in the incomparable name of Christ, our Redeemer, our King. Amen. The orientation of Jesus' life here on earth was always headed toward the cross. Over and over and over, he revealed to his disciples what was to come, predicting his own death and his resurrection. In speaking with them, he said, as Luke records in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The resurrection and the crucifixion are the two central truths of Christianity. It's why Easter is so special for Christians around the world. I appreciate the way that an author and, and journalist named Janine Giovanni expressed it. She says that Easter is meant to be a symbol of hope 
renewal and new life. You know, all who know Jesus Christ and all who enjoy Easter probably would resonate with those words. It's the hope that we have because of the resurrection. The promises are all true. It is a, 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 a time of renewal. And in renewal, we experience the new life that is promised to us. But Easter was last week. And the clocks continue to tick and the calendar continues to uh, unfold and we continue to move on with our lives. Most of us has probably packed up all of the decorations we put out with Easter, the, the baskets if you have kids and, and the bunnies or whatever and the candy and whatever else you do to celebrate Easter has probably been put away or discarded one way or another. But one of the things that's important for us to always remember is just because Easter is in our rearview mirror does not mean that we need to pack up the message of Easter and put it up on a shelf until we bring it out again next year. We don't give up the message of Easter for anything, even things that are important things, even things that are spiritual things. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing here to the Corinthian church, declares, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, it's an interesting statement. He resolved to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Now, crucified for Paul is shorthand for the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, It's a shorthand for the gospel. He uses cross or gospel uh, interchangeably in in a lot of uh, his his writings. Uh, But he's saying this is is the one thing. Theologian D.A. Carson says, Paul cannot talk long about Christian joy or Christian ethics or Christian fellowship Uh, the Christian doctrine of God or anything else without finally tying it to the cross. Paul is gospel-centered. Paul is cross-centered. And so Paul says to this church as he's writing to, one that is dear to his own heart, he's reminding them of the time that they had together, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Now, uh, for those of you who are, are not familiar uh, with this letter, Paul knew these people. He was the one who had established this church. He had visited the city of Corinth during his second missionary journey, toward the tail end of his second missionary journey. And he stayed there and he began to develop relationships and he began to teach about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stayed 18 months with them. And now he's writing to them and he's saying, Essentially, you remember my resolution, what I was committed to is I didn't want to know, I wasn't going to know anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified among you. And think about that for a moment, 18 months and the same message, the message of the cross, message of Christ and him crucified over and over and over again. And, you know, you might start thinking, well, didn't he have anything else to talk about? Well, absolutely, Paul had a lot to talk about. We see the evidence of all that Paul has uh, has to talk about in all of his letters. And they're theological, like when you consider the the letter to the Romans, that that theology is present in in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. And then they are incredibly practical, as you see uh, in this letter to the Corinthians as well, even if some of the practicality is quite bizarre. In other words, when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he deals with some really, really weird issues. For one, he says, and it's practical advice for us as well for next week as we have communion. You know, when it's time for communion, don't come to church drunk. That's actually his instruction. So, which would be, I pass that on to you as well. Um, And uh, not a good idea, don't come drunk. And if you get drunk on the little thimbles, well, then we'll talk. But um, one per customer. Per, uh, and so 
another one in a culture that was priding itself on being incredibly uh, tolerant and the church that wanted to demonstrate love and grace and mercy uh, and yet a relationship that created a scandal in the church and people were not sure about this. And they wanted to kind of flow with the, you know, the, the sexual mores of the culture and not be judgmental. But so they asked Paul and Paul says, okay, there's grace, but it's still not appropriate for a man to date his father's wife. Just, you know, avoid that. There are, there are standards, there are limits. That's actually one of the issues that Paul is dealing with when he's writing to this church. In some way, when you look at this letter that Paul is writing, it is, you kind of scratch your head and you say, how much, they didn't, weren't just getting drunk for communion. They must have been, you know, kind of living in a stupor with some of the things that they were involved in that Paul seems to be having to address here. And yet Paul says, the only thing I knew was Jesus Christ and him crucified among you. Well, that's because, as, again, as Carson says, Paul can't talk long about anything without tying it back to the cross. The cross was the central message. And so no matter what it is that he is speaking about, no matter what it is that he is teaching, he will not go long in detail without showing its connection to the cross, to the message of Christ and him crucified, to the message of Easter. And to make this message even more relevant to us, more than one scholar has noted the relative comparisons between the culture in Corinth and our present-day North American context. Corinth was a very large, wealthy commercial center. It was extremely diverse uh, ethnically, uh, economically, religiously, and culturally. Uh, as one commentator said that the, the, um, the Corinthian culture was competitive, it was socially conscious, and it was cutthroat. Another commentator says Corinth was a place where self-promotion and public boasting had been an art form, and they didn't even have Facebook. Self-promotion, boasting, cutthroat, self-serving. This is what Corinth is like. And of the church that developed in Corinth, another commentator says this, there was more of Corinth in the Christians than there was of Christ. And so when you read through this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul addressing this church that he had established, uh, a people that he loved, uh, people who were well, was messed up. And dealing with issues that we look at and we think, well, of, of course. It's important for us to recognize just how much our culture parallels that and just how much the present American church is shaped more by our culture than it is by Christ when we hear what Paul is saying. And Paul's remedy for that people that is more influenced by the culture than they are by uh, the, the teachings of Jesus, the message is the cross. 
He says that the cross is their hope and the cross will shape them. The reason he does that is because for Paul, uh, the cross is not just a message of salvation that we have, that we celebrate, but as he says uh, to the Romans, the, the cross, the, the message of the gospel is, is the power of God. In fact, even in this letter, in, in, uh, in chapter one, as he, he's beginning his writing, verse 18, he says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so the remedy for uh, a, a church that is being influenced and, and shaped, conformed to the culture, more so than, than Christ, is not all the instructions of here's what you do and here's what you don't do, but it's the message of the cross, and then the cross out, uh, lives out or flows out into day-to-day life. Paul is passionate about the cross. And, and when he says that the cross is the, the power of God, he's saying that the, that the cross is not merely a, a message that informs us. He's saying that it is a power that forms us. The word is cruciformity. I, lo- I love the word. It comes from the, the Greek, cruci- uh, the crux uh, in terms of dealing with the crucifixion, the cross itself, and, and then formation. Because Paul says this is the power of God. The message of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something that we celebrate, give thanks for, because now our sins are forgiven and we move on our way and learn how to live in this life, to navigate the world that we live in. But as we are contemplating it, as we remind ourselves and remind one another and declare it to a world, it's the power of God to shape us to be who he's created us to be, to shape us, to be conformed, to be like Jesus. And in doing that, we experience the joy that we all long for, uh, the hope that is within us that is part of the the message of Easter and the resurrection. Now, as we think of what Paul is talking about here, that he is resolved to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified, we do need to recognize that there are two aspects of what he's doing. For cruciformity, for 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 the message of the cross to shape us, one, we do need to be informed. We need to be reminded of what that message is. We need to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the implications that go with us, that go along with that. Because the message of the cross is essential, not just to our salvation, but to our our spiritual health. See, it's the message of the cross that tells us something about God. Because God had ordained that Jesus, the eternal son, would become man and would be crucified on that cross, which was a particularly heinous and scandalous death in that day and would still be among the most cruel forms of capital punishment that has ever been devised. On that cross, we see something of God because we see something of ourselves. The cruelty of it the heinousness of it, it is a reminder of just how ugly our sin is and what our sin deserves. 
sin deserves death. We're, we're told that the wages of sin is death. Paul writes that to the Romans. Uh, you know, but people die in, in different ways. But the ugliness and the cruelty of a crucifixion reminds us, no, no, the full anger, the full wrath of God deserves to be placed on those who sin, who have rebelled against God, who created them, and who's endowed us with everything. And when we see the ugliness, we see, therefore, the intensity of the wrath of God that was placed on Jesus, who volunteered for the job. But then we ask the reason why, and the answer is because God loved those whom he created after his own image. He didn't need that. He could have wiped us out, started all over us uh, all over again. But he chose to redeem, to pay the penalty, pay the debt in order to buy for himself. And so the cross, as ugly as it is, it tells us something of God because it is a love that is so deep, so rich, so intense, we cannot fathom it. But as we ponder it, as we consider it, as we meditate upon it, we grow in our depth of understanding, appreciation for it. And then the result of that, as the Apostle John writes, is we love because he first loved us. When we recognize the love of God that is demonstrated on the cross, that Jesus volunteered for, that God poured his wrath on, when we see that kind of love, that doesn't leave us unaffected. And so the message of the cross is important because it tells us something of the nature of God. He is holy and he will not tolerate sin. He is just because something has to pay. If he says something, you know, he means it. And yet he, in his wisdom and his compassion and his love, chose to take care of the problem himself so that everyone who believes is reconciled to him and can have that relationship and that fellowship with him. The cross tells us of the great love of God. The cross tells us of our worth in God's eyes. You know, as marketing people tell you, um, something is worth whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. Uh, the old illustration is if I buy a pencil for two cents and I can sell it to camper for two dollars, how much is the pencil worth? It's worth two bucks. Why? Because he's a uh, sucker enough to pay for two bucks for it. I feel that way often. Now when I buy peanut butter, I feel that way. Um, gas tank, you know, it's what's it worth? Whatever you're willing to pay for it. Well, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, paid for those whom he had created, who he could have wiped out and replaced, but he paid for it with his own blood. We find our value, we find our worth, we find our identity in the cross. Because we see ourselves in light of God and what God is like and what God has done for us. And therefore the message of the cross, which is so vital, essential to our spiritual formation, is the message that leads to humility without despair. In other words, we recognize the reason for the cross is we are sinners. So what do we have to boast about? Yet we don't need to despair because we have been redeemed because we were loved. The message of the cross leads to humility without despair, but it also leads to hope without being puffed up. As many of you have heard us say over and over again, quoting Jack Miller, the message of the cross is this, cheer up. You are far worse than you think, but you are far more loved than you would ever dare dream. That's the message of the cross that Paul 
was determined to make sure that the people understood as to their relationship with God based on what Jesus has done. I was resolved to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we see that not just there, but Paul, this was permeates everything that he, he, he writes. And we see an illustration of cross-centeredness and an, and an encouragement to for, for believers to live out cross-centered lives, cruciform lives, when Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, toward the end of his ministry. Timothy had taken over as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul had established that church, and obviously they had a good foundation. Uh, tradition tells us that at some point, the, uh, the apostle John had been there, probably the, the preacher Apollos at one time or another. And, and yet, if you look at the book of Revelation, you realize despite the, the lineup of the pastors they've had, the church kept on kind of declining. It's, well, because it's a church like ours. It's filled with people who may have been redeemed, but we're all messed up. And so over time, we lose our focus and we tend to drift. And so we have to constantly be reminded of this. And Timothy had gone in, and part of what Paul's writing, First Timothy, is to help Timothy as the new pastor, how to get the church revitalized. One of the things that he was to do was to, to teach the message of the gospel, particularly to entrust uh, the foundational truths to the elders of the church, who were then in turn to share it with their small groups and making sure that the DNA of the church would be based on the gospel. And so Paul says this as he's, he's writing to Timothy in, in, um, in First uh, Timothy uh, 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So in other words, he's saying, this is something that I tell myself, and I'm going to pass this on to you, and then you need to consider this and kind of adopt it as your own. Uh, but in your own consideration, now pass this on to the elders and everybody in your church and have the elders pass it on. Have people encourage one another with this message. Uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. You see what Paul is doing there? He's saying that, that he has embraced this mindset of cruciformity, that he identifies with the message of the cross. First is the good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like him, like me, like you. And then Paul says, and as I consider myself in relation to God, I don't worry about everybody else, but I... I consider myself to be the biggest problem in my life. Some of you may know the story. Um, it was uh, G.K. Chesterton, I believe, that was asked to be uh, a prominent writers uh, by the London Times to um, answer in a short essay form, what does he believe is the biggest problem in the world? And a number of different writers had written their short essays. Some were longer, some were paragraphs. And G.K. Chesterton's response was, what is the biggest problem in the world? I am. It's adopting this mindset that the Apostle Paul has that is a perspective of one's own life by view of the cross. I'm the biggest problem. Premarital counseling, I always instruct couples to say this, is I am the biggest problem in my marriage. Guys, usually have a hard time saying it, um, but eventually they get it. But it's not just guys, it's both. If anybody, if we all adopt this mindset, I am the biggest problem in my marriage, it's amazing how we look differently at, the, at, our, at our spouses. It's consistent with this mindset of Christ-centered, cross-centered, cruciformity, being conformed to the message of the cross in our mindset. But, but Paul makes that statement, and so he's recognizing, cheer up, I'm far worse uh, than, than I thought. 
But he doesn't finish with that because he immediately follows up with, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, when we recognize that grace that was given to us is not something that we earned or God looked at us and said, look what I'm gonna make of you and so that's why I chose you, but we receive mercy, not because of our own merit, but because God is merciful and because God is loving and that is demonstrated because Jesus Christ came into the world to save us, to redeem us. We grow and respond to that love by seeing ourselves in, with new eyes, not to despair, but with hope and thankfulness and joy and freedom. And so when Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified, foundationally he meant that the message of the cross would shape the way that every individual believer, every church, and then ultimately, you know, hopefully uh, the church then shaped the community that it is planted in with an entirely new perspective one that brings joy because it is rooted in hope. It is rooted in hope, not in our own performance, but in the nature of God. The nature of God, which is love, even though he is just, because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And it doesn't really matter whether somebody else has done more. We have enough of issues of our own. And cruciformity sets free the one who is a follower of Jesus Christ entirely new mindset and a new way of living. And we also need to recognize that when Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified, the word crucified is essential here. Because there are those, and it's very prevalent even in our culture today, but it's not limited to our culture, for those who would take the Bible and, and, and focus not so much on what Jesus has done, but on the imperatives and the instructions of the way that you and I are to live and declare that this is the essence of Christianity. Again, another quote from D.A. Carson. He says, I fear the cross without ever being disowned is constantly of danger of being dismissed from the central place it must employ by relatively peripheral insights that take on far too much weight. And whenever the periphery is in danger of replacing the center, we are not far removed from idolatry. And when he's talking about idolatry, that means the worship of other gods, which means it's another religion altogether. And scores of books and articles and preachers and, and podcasts will turn our attention from the cross to the needs of the community around us and say that if we are a people that are gonna follow the example of Jesus Christ, we're not gonna spend all of our time gazing upon the cross, we're gonna get busy and get down on our knees and we're gonna serve the people who are around us. Now, the reason that that is such a convicting um, message is because it's true. There is great need, and when God has redeemed a people, he has redeemed a people for the purpose of being agents to bring transformation within the culture, to bring others who do not know him. As Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not yet of this fold. They must be brought in also. And who's going to bring them in? Well, God, but through you and through me and through everyone who is his followers, we become the vessels that God is going to use. And so there is a, a, that message carries a lot of weight and, and, and resonates with many Christians because there is truth in it, but it is truth that is divorced from the central truth. 
whenever the message of uh, presenting Christianity as if Christianity is about how you live your life and how you serve the people who are around you, and it doesn't appeal and root itself in the message of the cross, it has displaced the central message of Christianity. It has imported another message that is a good message, but it is not intended to be the central message. And when God, in what he has done in Jesus Christ, when the cross has moved out of the center, well, now we have idolatry, we have an entirely different religion. Often this is expressed to those who would focus your attention and they, you know, they talk about being the red letter Christians. Or they do what Jesus does, says, and they discard pretty much all of the rest of the scripture. Most of those people tend to ignore the fact that the scriptures tell us that, well, Jesus, while he was walking with the disciples and everywhere he went, well, he taught the whole Old Testament, so got to include those. And the fact that it is God who is working through the apostles to kind of share and help us, guide us through how we are to live in light of the gospel, never in place of the gospel. It wasn't like, okay, now believe this, now you're in, now go do what you need to do. But doesn't God want us to engage? Doesn't God want us to serve? Doesn't God want us to reach the nations? Absolutely. And when Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, he's not saying that the only thing that anybody ever talks about is the message of the cross. He is saying that whatever you talk about connect it to the message of the cross. And the message of the cross not only informs us about God and about our relationship with God, and even about ourselves, but because the cross is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. The cross is also shaping us in the way that we live. And that's where the word cruciformity comes into. Being shaped by the cross And interestingly, when cruciformity is at work, we are shaped by the cross and our lives begin to reflect the cross the way that we live them out. What do you mean by that? Well, first, I think it's important for us to remember that this is not just something that that Paul was uh, kind of making up on his own. He's following the example of Jesus Christ who says, if anyone wants to come after me, he will take up his cross daily. Now, we understand that means we die to self. We, you know, when we we live for others, we live to the glory of God and we live for the benefit of the people who are around us. The fact that he says daily is important because that means the cross should shape the way that we live today and tomorrow and the day after. Now, to understand how that gets lived out and how cruciformity can be very helpful is because this cross itself points us in the various directions and the way that we are to live our lives in relationship. Think about a cross doesn't matter whether you take a Celtic cross behind or just kind of a, you know, whatever. We have so many designs of crosses that, um, that we have in our art and in our jewelry. But no matter what cross is coming to your mind, if it's a cross, 
it has two things. It has two different axes, a vertical and a horizontal, and the two of them intersect. That's a cross, no matter what it is. Well, the cross in those two directions actually points in four different directions. And I was helped by uh, a guy named Jimmy Davis, who was um, a minister in the PCA. I, I don't think I really know him. I, I think I've met him. He served for a while after at our church that Carolyn and I um, came out uh, from before we went to seminary, but he came after that. And um, I think he's living, living in, uh, serving now in Lookout Mountains near Covenant College. But um, I don't know him, feel like I know him. But he's written a very short book called A Cruciform Life. I did steal the title from him, um, but, uh, but not the book. Uh, but the illustration that he gives, and, and as he points this out, is when you look at the cross in any direction, you have it pointing upward and outward and downward. And when it is pointing upward and outward, it is actually, when we live our lives that way, we live our lives consistent with what Jesus says is the, the greatest commandments. Remember, Jesus was asked, What's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your strength. And then Jesus said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's always important for us to stop and consider that conversation and what Jesus did say, uh, especially what he said in response to what he was asked. He was asked, what is most important? And he answered that, number one. The guy didn't say, give us some important principles of life. He said, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And the guy said, you got that right. But then Jesus added the second one because it is inseparable from the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's important that we recognize it is still second. The orientation that we have toward God is the first and foremost importance in our life. And no matter how much we benefit the people who are around us, if we don't personally relate to God, there is no benefit. God is not honored, he's not glorified, and we are, are not you know, declared righteous because of all the things that we may do. But Jesus added this because it is inseparable to love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your strength. You, you can't love God without, you know, what is it that we have to give to God with our strength? He has everything. He endows us with anything we have. And so I'm reminded, as Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And so the upward orientation, it takes us toward God. And so if you take notes, write down seeking. As the cross points upward, it is a reminder of the relationship that we have with God, and we are able to relate to him on the basis of the intersection of the cross, what Jesus has done for us. We relate to God on the basis, and then we seek his face. And to live a Christian life, to live the way that Jesus has called us to live, to live the lives that we're called to live, means first and foremost, the priority that we have is our relationship with God. But the cross also goes out in two different directions, horizontally. And that represents the way that we are to live our lives among one another whether it's those who are believers in the church or whether it is the unbelievers who are around us or around the nation, one way or another, we have a relationship with them. The idea of the Christianity is not to have a relationship with God and withdraw from the world, but we are empowered to go back into the world and then we love the world. And if you seeking is the top, then we can look in the two directions with two different things. We would call that 
serving and sowing. Now, there may be two kinds of people in the world. There are believers and there's unbelievers. You can split them up in any other way you want, but you know that's a simple way of doing that. But serving and sowing is the way that we serve. We serve and sow whether people are believers or unbelievers. It's not a, okay, we serve the believers and we sow the unbelie- for, to the unbelievers. We both serve the needs of the people who are around us and we sow the seed of the gospel as we share the message of the gospel, remind people or give it to them in the first time. And those two things go side by side. The scriptures tell us do good to all people, but especially to those who are in the household of faith. So there is a, 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 a special focus that way that we relate to other people. But as we love one another, we're called to love them as Christ has loved us, which is the cross, die, because Jesus has freed us. And so there's nothing that we should be unwilling to do to be able to help people who are in need, believer and unbeliever. And we see that it's not limited to just the believers because Jesus gave the illustration of those who love uh, with the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, who love their neighbor, the one who serves or the one who ignores their needs for spiritual reasons. There's a need to sow. I mean, there's this need to serve But in our serving, there's also always a need to sow the seed of the gospel. We sow the seed of the gospel to those who don't know Jesus because it's the only way by which they can be reconciled to God. And so we go with a great prayer, as Paul will later deal with here, knowing that the, he who, is, uh, who provides seed for the sowing will also enlarge the harvest of righteousness as we sow it, because it's God who is at work, but we share the seed of the gospel by reminding people of the message of Easter, the message of Christ crucified and resurrected. And those who are sheep that are not yet of the fold will hear that message, and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, he will bring people who are dead spiritually to life as they believe, they're regenerated, they're adopted, they are brought into the family. But it's a mistake to think that it's only the unbelievers that need to hear the gospel. Scriptures tell us that we need to encourage one another, speak the truth in love to one another. And the truth is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And therefore, as we preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another, we bring encouragement because we reconnect people to that truth of the gospel. And we do need to be reconnected because we have this discrepancy between what we know and then what we're operating with. One of my favorite Martin Luther quotes is this, is apparently a young man came to him and said, Dr. Luther, you preach Jesus Christ crucified and our salvation is by grace through faith week after week after week. Why do you preach justification by grace through faith week after week after week? And he said, because you forget it week after week after week. And maybe that's not you, but it is me. I I never forget it intellectually, but in any given moment, with just the right wind, which means could be any wind, I'm not connected to it. But as I see it in your lives, as I hear it from your lips, I am reminded of what is my hope, 
which keeps me from getting puffed up if I'm having a good day or too depressed if I'm having a bad day because I realize my identity, my worth, my relationship with God, the power to wear fruit is not within me, but it is God who is at work through me as I am abiding in Jesus, as I am plugged in, as I am remembering the gospel, believing in what he has done. And that begins to take shape. It shapes the way that I relate to God, seeking. It shapes the way that I relate to other people as I become more willing to serve and able to sow, and therefore fulfilling the whole of the law. Now, if you're paying attention, somebody would say, well, aren't there four directions of the cross? You said there's four dimensions. Well, there is. There's the one that goes downward into the ground. What does that one do? Well, if you were to look at the different people that study and write about the whole issue of cruciformity, uh, you'll find that there's probably not a consensus of that. But once again, I, I appreciate uh, uh, Jimmy Davis because he, he was, um, I don't know how compelling it was, but it just made sense to me because he said that that one is about stewardship. Down shows us and reminds us that God has created humans. He's created people that we are to be stewards of everything that he has created. And therefore, the downward just reminds us of our responsibility to cultivate and our opportunity to enjoy everything God has made. And so when you take all of those directions, we see it's relating to God, relating to other people, relating to the earth that we live in, which includes the communities and the cultures, because that's both people and, and the creation. It is a full orb life that is now turned out. And when we follow the example of Jesus Christ, because we're powered by Jesus Christ, our lives begin to take on the form of a cross because the cross is what is shaping us in the first place. And that is what called cruciformity. Now the reality is, and I'm wrapping up here, most of us probably don't think often about the present implications of the cross. When most Christians talk about the cross and the death, we, we think about, okay, we're saved, and then we think about the benefits that are ours after death. But the Apostle Paul in line with the teaching of Jesus, reminds us that the benefits of the cross, the power of the cross, is not just for after death, but it's for life. And Paul, knowing that, said, I'm resolved to know nothing among you, even as he sees demonstrated, even as he resolves to know nothing among, even in himself, that is not rooted in and shaped by the cross. And he's inviting us to be a people who live cruciform lives in relation to God, to one another, and to all the earth. And he who has called us to it will enable us to do it. May we resolve in our own to live nothing but the cross to the glory of our God and the good of his world. Father, we pray with thanksgiving this day with what you have done for us in the cross, and yet we acknowledge that we've barely scratched the surface of our understanding of it. Increase our joy as we increase in our understanding of what Jesus has done and what is ours in him. Father, shape our minds 
our hearts, and our lives, that Christ crucified would be the mark of our lives. To you be your glory and honor, we pray. Amen.